Hello and welcome to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dean Watt, and I'm your guide to exceptional leadership and dynamic culture in your business. Join me each week as we explore practical tips through fun and fascinating interviews with successful business owners who've mastered the art of leadership. Over the last 20 years as a keynote speaker, author, and high-performing team transformation specialist, I've been fascinated by what it takes to create a great culture and dedicated team members in a business. When leaders truly own their roles and empower their team members to do the same, a great culture is always the result. So whether you're on your couch or in your car, on a treadmill or hiking up a hill, get ready to be inspired and entertained as you learn exactly how to own your role. Hey, everybody, welcome to Own Your Role, the podcast that helps you connect with unique entrepreneurs. I'm excited to have you here again this day for a really cool conversation, especially for those of you that have been listening to the show for a while or have ever seen me speak on stages. You know, I talk about how I am deficient of the sports gene, meaning I I just don't watch a lot of sports. I never played a whole bunch of sports. You know me, I'm a performer, I'm a dancer. I like that type of stuff, but I always do use sports analogies and ideas inside of my speeches. And I find it fascinating, the discipline it takes for somebody to be in sports. And today we have J.R. Butler is going to share with us how to, how his company has helped people shift from that world of sports into a career. And I find it fascinating because I've always thought about that. I see these elite athletes who have been focused on one thing for the majority of their life. And when that either comes to an end or it doesn't pan out the way that they thought it was going to pan out, what do they do next? So our conversation is going to be a lot around that and about what JR and his company does there. Before we get into that, again, thank you so much for listening to the show, for subscribing, for those of you that have subscribed. You know, it's the best way to help us let Spotify and Apple and all the big podcast companies know that they want to rank us a little higher because you're subscribing. So thank you for subscribing and for sharing it with your friends and colleagues and letting them know that there's something to be learned on these shows. So continue to do so. If you haven't subscribed, that's my plea to you to subscribe so that you can actually be alerted when we are adding a new podcast, which we do just about every week. So again, thank you for being here. With that being said, let's get started with the show. JR, again, thank you so much for being here. I'm I'm really excited about our conversation today. Me too. Very, very excited, Dino. Let's, Let's jump in. Let's do it. Let's talk a little bit about, as we always do on this show, we start off with the story because I think story is the number one thing that connects everyone. What's your story? How did you get into helping people make that transition from sports to success? So uh, people always ask me, why did you start the company? I I, I really truly started the company for myself uh, at two points in my life. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts. I'm the oldest son of a, of a hall of fame hockey coach. Um, so I spent basically 24 years, um, fully dedicated and focused on ice hockey. Uh, you know, it was my identity is my purpose. Uh, and then one day I woke up and nobody wanted to pay me to do it. Mm. And I had to figure out like what was next. Um, two, two kind of takeaways from that experience was number one, I, I shouldn't have waited to that morning to think about what I wanted to do next. Right. I think it would have actually improved my experience of being a hockey player. Had I had some other pieces of my identity and and things that I was, I was learning about. Uh, But two, there was nowhere for me to go 
to, to do some self-discovery, to do some career discovery, and then to do some career upskilling and get access to companies that understood the value of me being a 24-year elite athlete, right? So um, that's the first person I started the company for. The second person I started the company for is I, I tripped and fell into a career in sales. Um, oh. I spent 16 years in sales and sales leadership. Um, so I spent a lot of time trying to identify and hire and train and retain the best possible sales professionals. And I had the most success when I focused on intangible characteristics and mindsets, because I think you can teach skills and you can teach knowledge. You can't teach someone how to think and you can't teach someone to have a certain characteristic. So the idea behind Shift Group is we want to help as many athletes and we also help veterans successfully transition into the sales profession. And then we want to help sales leaders in every industry get access to the right talent that has the intangibles and has the mindsets that we believe to be indicative of success. So those that that life experience is what led to Shift Group. And it's and it's why I think, you know, I'm so close to our our customer base on both sides of our market, both the athletes and veterans we work with, as well as the companies that hire those people from us. Well, I really appreciate you talking about uh, the identity part of of that. That really spoke to me, and I'm sure there are people who are listening who, whether it was sports or uh, religion, whether it was academia, whatever it was, a lot of people wrap their identity into the thing that they want to become. I, I've worked a lot with the medical field, and in that space, once you make that decision at you know 18 years old, you're going to go to college to be a doctor. You're kind of set there. Not a lot of people get to 30 and go, you know, I want to have a different shift in my life. I want a career change, right? You spent so much time, effort, energy, and identity. Talk to us a little bit about that moment when you realize your identity was no longer going to be what you had probably imagined for the most of your life, what your future was going to be. How did you come to terms with that? What was that like for you? I would love to tell you that it was a moment. Um, but again, like one of the reasons I started the company is because it, I struggled with it. Like it took mm. me, it probably took me two or three years to, to like, let it go, let go of the anger, the resentment of wow. like, and I, and I was in a weird situation because I'm, like I said, I'm the oldest, my, my middle brother, when I retired from hockey, my middle brother was just getting into college and he was a stud. Like he was an all American Wow. Yeah, he ended up going on playing the NHL, playing in the Olympics, like wow. very, very, very unique and special talent. And meanwhile, I'm like, well, what the hell am I? Right. Who am I? Wow. So I'm like it, yeah. for me, it came down to like dealing with I, 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 I've been sober for 12 years. So I struggle with substance abuse to, mm -hmm. to deal with some of the anxiety and depression that came out of that transition. Um, and ultimately, I think the moment where I was like, the moment where I was like, oh my God, like I don't have to change who I am to be a professional was uh, actually going to my brother's first NHL game and seeing the way he was carrying himself, how prepared he was and, you know, how he was approaching the game. And I realized like, and I was already a salesperson at this point, but I realized like, here I am like bitching and moaning and feeling bad for myself that I'm not a professional athlete. But like, if I approach this career and get dialed in 
the way my brother's dialed into hockey, I can still be a millionaire. Like I can still get all the glory and all the, all the fame and success that you get as a, as an athlete, just in a different vertical. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a big moment for me, right? It, It probably took another year or two before I put down the, the drinks and the drugs, but like that, for me was like, finally, like the, the, the moment where I'm like, I'm, I'm, this is fine. I'm going to be fine. Wow. Thank you for sharing that because uh, many people who listen to the show know that although I've never personally dealt with it, uh, one of my missions in my business is to reverse the direction of divorce, addiction, and suicide amongst business owners and their team members. And I know there's a lot of people listening to that who in some way can relate, even if it's not uh, say alcohol or drugs, it's food, it's sex, it's whatever it might be. There's an addiction there and we try to numb ourselves and our feelings for what we're not getting or what we're not being able to do. And I think we can all, all can relate to the jealousy factor of what the heck, you know, how come they got anointed with that special ability? And I love the mindset of turning it around and realizing the skills that you did practice and focused on for 20 plus years of your life were the exact same skills in a different vertical that will help you be successful there. Everyone has those abilities. Uh, I mean, I'll just be totally authentic. As you were saying that, I was like, oh yeah, there are other skills that I'm not totally using that I use in my hobbies or I use in my performance life that I'm not quite using in my business right now that I can totally turn on. When you mentioned there weren't any real sources to go to when you were going through this crisis, and so therefore I'm assuming that's where like the only thing that was easiest was the alcohol and the drugs like to numb that. Um, What did other people do at that time for years of not having someone to turn to to say, hey, what do I do now? What, what was it? What was available, if anything? Well, I think like, you know, if I look at I went to a great college. uh, liberal arts school, right? Which, which means certain things. Um, the biggest thing it means is like, unless you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, um, it's, there's not really like specific guidance, right? I'm also, I happen to be a first generation college graduate, right? So I don't come from a family of people who have like gone to college and then gone on and done this. And, and, you know, I, because of hockey, I, I got to surround myself with a lot of people that came from, you know, multi-generational wealth and and families who have been successful for a long time. So there was some exposure there. But I think like generally, if you don't have somebody like directly in your life and in your family that's been successful, it's it's not, it's not nat- networking isn't necessarily natural, right? So like I think I kind of figured that out over time and started having conversations and started understanding like what was out there. You can get into finance. I, you know, I also entered the job market in 2008, so that wasn't really oh, wow. like a path yeah. I wanted to take. Um, so I think that's kind of what it, what it comes down to is like your, your network is your net worth. And my mm-hmm. network was, you know, I grew up blue collar surrounded by a lot of blue collar people. Like even to this day, my dad still, still gives me crap that I didn't go down the the civil route and I don't have a pension someday to lean on. Right. So, <laughs> you know, there's, it's, it's, it's really about getting out of that comfort zone, getting out of that. If you don't have that network, going to find that network, right. That's kind of, that's kind of the option right now. I think like, that's really it. Yeah. So is that how you made that realization or the shift into sales? Was it just the only option? Like, 
it, it's it's an interesting sales is a, a bunch of rejection, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, you have to learn to almost embrace the rejection part of it. You also oh. have to embrace interrupting people. You have to embrace, you know, helping people, all of those things, which I know that obviously sports is a team effort, but when it comes down to it, it's just you, it's you on that ice have to perform your best. So it can be kind of selfish in some ways too. How did you make that? What What was it that tipped you into sales? What Who was the network that helped you get there? It was, it was through my hockey network. You oh. know, I was, I was playing, I, I was playing like men's league hockey at the time. Mm. And there was a guy on my team who drove like a sick car. He like, he had like, always had like nice watches and dressed well. And, you know, I was 24 years old. I'm like, you know, I just asked him, I'm like, what do you do for work? Right. And, yeah. you know, he's like, oh, I'm in sales. And I'm like, really? Like, and, and obviously I, I had already known him. I'm like, this guy ain't that smart. Right. Like, <laughs> so like, you know, and, and, you know, you don't have a lot of self-awareness and self-confidence at that age, especially when you just lost your entire purpose yeah. like within a year. And I, that was kind of like my first like taste of like, okay, like I don't have, like, I don't have to go be a doctor. I don't have to go be, I didn't want to go do those things. I didn't want, definitely didn't want to go back to school so like that was kind of my my first taste of like oh there's other ways that you can go make a lot of money right that I knew that was important to me yeah, right and that's yeah. imp- by the way that's important for if you want to get into into sales because like sales is the worst career in the world to make a mediocre salary like you said <laughs> yeah you get, it's true <laughs> you, get, you get told no more than you get told yes yeah um, there's a lot of like crappy administrative work that you have to do. Um, and, and if you're not like, if you're not coin operated, I, you know, I always tell people don't, don't, don't sign up for sales, man. It's not worth it. It is. It's, it's challenging. What was your initial feeling around sales? Cause I feel like most people have some sort of, uh, energy negative or positive around sales at the beginning. What was yours? It's easy. Like, it's, it's what probably most of your listeners, when they close their eye, when you say the word sales and they close their eyes, it's the same image that they have as what I had. And it's a used car sales. Yes. Game. Isn't that funny? A hundred percent. It's like high pressure tactics, lying and yeah. like pitching, right? Pitch me, pitch me, right. pitch me. Right. Um, sell that me, was sell me I, this pin. Sell me this pin. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's what I, that's literally a hundred percent what I thought sales was a hundred percent. And how, how did that shift happen to realizing it was maybe not all that you thought of? Cause I agree. I think most people, and the salesperson is so funny. Somehow we've all been conditioned that that's the go-to salesperson. Yeah. I think, I think like my first day, uh, when I got a job, my job, I was cold caller, right. I was a, you know, early, early career business development. They call it business development to make you feel but you pick up, you pick up the phone and like, to your point, right? Like I call it the indignities of sales. Sales mm-hmm. is you have to ask people for their attention. And at the end of like spending time with them, you have to ask them for their money. Right. So there's these two bookends that are like really, really hard. And like that first experience of like asking for someone's attention, I've, I've always been able to talk a dog off a meat wagon, like pretty good in a bar room, like, you know, all those types of things. So I thought I could get away with that. And what I quickly realized was like, I can't convince these people to spend time with my company unless I understand enough about them to explain why they should spend mm-hmm. time with my company. 
So that's when I was, I started to realize like, oh, we don't, it's not about like the pitch. It's not about lying to them. It's about understanding their world and showing them how we can make their world better and asking them questions to show them like their world isn't perfect. Cause nobody, you know, nobody wants you to call their baby ugly. So you right. have to ask them questions to get them to admit that their baby's ugly essentially. Yeah. So that's when I started to understand like sales is about solving problems. And in order to do that, you have to understand what type of problems might exist in this person's world that I'm going to call out of nowhere. They've never heard of me. They've never heard of my company. And what am I going to say to get their attention and be like, yeah, let's meet for 30 minutes. Cause that was my job for, you know, a year straight. And what were, were you selling something you actually cared about? Were you selling, like, what, what were you selling? No, I was <laughs> selling, I was selling. So I, 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 in college, I was a sociology major with a minor in art history and sign language. That's going to go really well. I, I you can go far with that. I, I, I'm <laughs> sure your dad's super proud. Like I could see where he wasn't concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I didn't own a computer, by the way, Dino. Oh. So when I got out of college, I got in. This wasn't I, 1980. I, what were you doing? No, no I, I just like, I'm, I'm not you know, I'm not a digital native, right? I can't use technology like a fifth limb, like a lot of these kids can today. Yeah. It just wasn't there for me. But then I, I went and spent 16 years selling enterprise technology, meaning like, you know, I'm talking, I'm not talking about computers. I'm talking about like servers, storage, switches, like, like enterprise wow. IT, IT infrastructure to the biggest companies in the world for 16 years. Do I, was I passionate about those things when I first started? Absolutely not. I don't, I'm a big believer. Like you don't follow your passion. You work for it. Right. That's a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, 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 and my purpose literally was like, I want to make a lot of money. Right. So how can I do that? I can get these people to buy this product and I, and, and ultimately you like get experience and you get knowledge and you learn like, Oh, this product makes their life better because it saves them money. It saves them time. It, it drives growth, right? Like that's, those are the things you learn. Yeah. Uh, but I certainly was not passionate about, you know, I'll throw some technical words, virtualization and deduplication and all these technologies I was selling. Absolutely not. No. Well, I love that you weren't be, and you said that part about, you know, not only living your passion, I I've, I'm a huge fan of that. I think that we've, created this sense, uh, this false sense of, uh, of direction in people's lives. When it's like, if you're passionate about something, then that's what you should do. I have a saying that says passion doesn't equal mastery, but mastery always equals passion. And so when you learn about the thing and you actually get into it and you start being successful, selling that thing that you didn't know anything about six months before, all of a sudden I like this thing a lot and I create the passion around it. I'm making money. I'm supporting my family. I'm having a direction. I, and I think most people don't, not most people, a lot of people don't get that in their, in their life. What was your biggest hurdle moving on from that? Because obviously you, you took this and you said, oh, there's a path here for something else. Is that when you started looking at some of your colleagues or? In terms of. In, like, in terms of growth. people who are in the sports field and, and moving there and then realizing they could learn something new and learn something different. Or how did that shift for lack of a better word happened for you? Yeah. For, for me, it was, it, it was when I, um, when I got like promoted a couple of times and now it was like, now I was in charge of like hiring people yeah. and it was like, all right, JR, you're a sales leader. You have a quota of, you know, simple numbers, $10 million. You got to go hire five people 
and they're going to be responsible for two million each. And you've got to hire the right person that you're going to trust to go and achieve that goal. And when when you're given that, you know, pressure, and I always say pressure is a privilege. Mm. When you're given that pressure, you're it forced me to think about like, okay, what type of human being am I gonna am I gonna pay to help me get paid? Right. Like, and when I thought about it, it was pretty simple for me. It was like, I need people that have these certain intangibles and this certain mindset, because then I can trust them to do the right thing when I'm not in the room. And when you have five, 10, and, and, you know, I had upwards of hundreds of people working for me, I'm not going to be in the room most of the time. Mm -hmm. So those, those, those things, those intangibles, those mindsets, those are not things you can keep, you can teach somebody. And they're also not things that, that get um, developed with an onboarding, like a two week onboarding. Right. These are, these are things that take many, many years, even decades of habits and experiences. And I realized because of my background that those intangibles and mindsets are developed when you play sports or when you serve in the military. So that's where I focused most of my time. I felt like, you know, and, and, and you're a dancer and performer. I also believe artists Mm -hmm. can have some of those intangibles because of the nature of, of that, you know, that profession. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not, you know, I, 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 it's dangerous to say it's just athletes and veterans have those things, but, but I'm confident that an athlete and a veteran for the most part is going to have those things. And I don't have to ask many questions about those things um, during the interview process. Well, I think that's what's really interesting is that you were able to look at your past history of what you know you went through and the characteristics that it takes after having gone through the process and getting the promotions and then thinking, huh, who do I, who can I rely on? And, and I think a lot of people would have gone, oh, where are some other salespeople? Where can I go find some other salespeople who are already, you know, in the game? And here you're thinking, well, let me find people who I can bring into it. Number one, you're giving them another chance, another career, just like you did, think not not having your identity wrapped up in that one thing or having it wrapped up into it and not knowing where to go. And then next, how can I utilize those skill sets? There's a great book called um, Be So Good They Can't Ignore You. And in the book, that's the point is that you never know what things happen to you throughout your life that will ultimately culminate in your success when you never even saw that as the path. You probably weren't sitting there in the middle of hockey practices at 15 years old going, someday this will help <laughs> me in sales. <laughs> you know? Someday my dad yelling at me and having to do the drills back and forth is going to be helping me close million dollar deals. Probably so, no, you're right. hundred percent. Now, now this is a little, not off topic. It's, it's what you just mentioned. I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this. Yeah. What if I understood at 15 that that were true? Oh, uh, right. That's what really a great, yeah. What type of difference would that make if a 15 year old athlete understood that these experiences, this adversity, all this stuff, being on a team and, and and working and playing with people that maybe you don't like, they're from a different background, their personality doesn't. What if I understood that that was going to be meaningful for me 15, 30, 45 years down the road? What a difference that, that would make. That when the ref makes a call you don't like or is unfair, when the game goes a certain direction that you didn't, when, you're, when your partner or your uh, teammate is injured and you have to feel, yeah, 
that's really cool. I hope you're creating that curriculum and that discipline for people right now, because that's brilliant. I think that's like one of the future state goals, because I talked about how like the lesson I learned when hockey was over one night was like, man, I, I should have started this process a while back. Right. Um, it's it's partially that example we just used, but it's also like when when your identity and purpose is one thing and that one thing doesn't go well, you get cut from a team, you lose a game, you have a bad game, you get benched your world is like over. You're like, Oh my yeah. God. Like I've put all my eggs in this basket. So like, that's, that's again, that's like kind of one of the things that we're, we're developing now is like trying to to show these athletic organizations and coaches, Hey, I know you think that you want your players 100% committed and focused on hockey. That's a huge mistake. And here's the data that proves that it's a huge mistake. That's why I, you know, you just mentioned that, that that's something that, that is a great example of why that's a huge mistake. That's really cool. I love that you're doing that. I remember there's a story, I believe it's in the book, uh, the gap in the gain where they talk about a, a, a college football player who was very successful and he was, he got recruited. And in one of the interviews, he talked about how one of the guys asked him if football was his life. And he said, well, no, I mean, I enjoy it, but it's not my life. And people were dogging on him. ESPN was talking about, oh, you need to be committed all the way. And he's like, it's not that I'm not committed. It's just that I know that there's more outside. If football were to go away tomorrow, I'd still be okay. And I don't think a lot of people can do that because they don't have that mindset that you can give them. Whether It doesn't have to be sales, right? It can be anything knowing that there's other opportunities with the skills you're learning now, how they're going to apply later on. Totally. And giving them that vision. Let's talk about the veteran side of things too, because I I think that's amazing. And in the same style of giving them a skill set that they can learn that can branch out beyond military when that doesn't pan out or they decide to go uh, out of military or um, if they get hurt or injured or anything like that. How did that come to be a part of your passion mission? Well, it, it, it was kind of the the idea from the beginning. That's actually why I called it shift group, because I wanted to to serve multiple populations. And in the original, like the idea for the companies from like 2015, I, I, I look back at the deck that I built. I was on a flight to London for sales meetings to Canary Wharf. And I built this like it wasn't called shift group, but I built this like idea of this company. And the third the third bucket, it was it was athletes, veterans and then believe it or not, it was PhDs um, because only 17% of PhDs work in the career that they got their PhD in, which is like crazy to me. Right. Um, we, have, we haven't expanded there yet, but veterans, it, for me, it was like, one, it's close to my heart. I, both my grandfathers served. A lot of people from that generation served. Obviously that percentage has gone down. Um, friends and family that I saw go through the transition that were like really dialed in uh, soldiers and then they lose that. And, and I mean, it's a well-documented fact of like the, the suicide problem, the substance abuse problem that these veterans come back from combat and have. And the, the other reason why is because corporate America, you know, a lot of big companies talk about their, their, their veteran programs. Uh, but like at the end of the day, you put a 40 year old like Green Beret in front of a 25 year old HR person, they don't get it. Like they don't, there's no way in the world that they understand what this person brings to their organization. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's sad. It's sad. It's like you got this human being who's like sacrificed a lot, the, both themselves and their family to protect the freedom that this 25 year old HR person is using every day when they go on Twitter and talk crap about people. Right. Yep. Or what or what or, or yeah. share their opinion about something. The right. only reason that person can do it is because of these people who, you know, wear our country's colors and go fight the bad guy. So, like, you know, I just think and 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 I do like sincerely believe that the experience of the military training, being on a team, um, trying to get better at things and like and 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 like being accountable they're very similar to athletes, very, yeah. very similar. So, so it was a, it was a pretty organic kind of expansion for us. Yeah, that's, that's very true, right? There's so many similarities um, in the sports world and the military world, even the desire to hit a mission, right? You have a certain goal or mission, you're moving towards that. And everything's about that mission. You mentioned earlier, you know, if you have a, a $5 million sales quota or a $10 million sales quota, that's the mission. And you got to have people on your team who are willing to do whatever it takes to get there and not just go, Oh, it's five. It's time for my latte. You know? Yeah. I need yeah. to go and do that. So yeah, that's, that's very awesome. Can you tell us any type of examples of some of the people that you've been able to work with and the, the, that kind of outcome of what's, what's happened there? So I'll use a, I'll do two examples, one from athletics and one from uh, the veteran side. So like, you know, you have uh, college athletics now is, is big business, right? Um, for all intents and purposes, if you're going to go play in the power five or a mid-major, you are essentially a professional athlete yeah. and you're getting recruited for your athletic talent for the most part. Um, and, and when I say that, I mean like size, speed, those types of things, right? Obviously, you need to be good enough to get in the school, uh, but ultimately, when that when that is over, you're typically going right back to where where you grew up. And a lot in a lot of cases, mine included, where you grew up, the people you grew up around are not going to be the best influences in the world. So, I'm thinking of a specific uh, kid who came through our program, grew up in a bad part of Virginia. Um, you know, went on to play at, at one of the big Virginia schools and we got him a job. Um, and he said to me, and it was like probably the best, the best thing I ever heard. It's better than the revenue. It's better than everything else we do. He's like, dude, you didn't just change my life, JR. You changed my family's life. Like if I hadn't met shift group, I'd be doing what, you know, my uncles are doing or my cousins are doing, which is not legal. Right. Like, you know, um, and, and this is, that's like a big deal to me, right? Like that's, and, and it's unfortunate that, that we have to exist for that to happen. Right. You think the kid went to a great school and got a degree and he should be fine, but this is a secondary thought because of the way that these universities are, are, you know, measured and, and stuff like that. Um, it's a generational shift that you are making. Totally. And that, that's, so my company, my, my business company is called our ripple effect. And the reason why I came up with that is that I really do believe every single human being on the planet can cause a ripple for good or ill. Um, and so companies like yours, which are helping people see a future beyond their current present of what they can see causes that ripple effect. And, and you'll never know. Like, I don't know. I'm sure you sit with this sometimes. I hope you do is that, I know we just met, but obviously through a story like that, and I'm sure the dozens or hundreds of stories you have like that, 
there's a ripple effect you will never see. You will never experience in this life that you're causing by just standing up and saying, all right, I'm done with this substance abuse. I'm done with that. I got to cause something else to shift in my life. And then now I get to shift other people's lives. That's, that's an amazing accomplishment that a legacy that you will never know. Totally. Totally. And, and, and it's similar on the, I mean, obviously on the military side, you get a lot of enlisted people that, that enlist because they want to get the hell out of the neighborhood they grew up yeah. in for the most part. Yeah. But there's, there's also like this, this population in the military of, you know, essentially career, career soldiers, right. Where, you know, they retire as like, you know, in, in, in military terminology, it's called an E9. It's the highest enlisted level that you can get to. We had a guy, E9, Sergeant Major in Special Forces, right? So this is like SEALs, Green Berets, you know, um, these Rangers, like that. These are the best of the best. And when we met him, he had interviewed at like 52 companies. And he's he's just trying to get an entry-level sales job. It's like $50,000 to $60,000 base salary, another another $30,000 to $50,000 in commission. And wasn't get got did not get to the offer stage once because of stupid things you know he's a 40 year old white dude right and he is also doesn't know how to use the crm the customer relationship management software and i'm like guys this guy went to syria and like worked with allied forces and convinced them to like to follow the u.s mission and like you could probably figure it out (laughs) yeah we just give him a little bit of instruction (laughs) you think he's gonna have a problem learning salesforce.com like (laughs) what are we talking about here right um so like and we have a lot of stories like that where it's like you know before i met shift group and the thing that's unique about us is like for a company to sign up with us and pay us money that means they get it they understand what they're getting with us. Yes, the training we put the kid through is important and all that stuff, but they're paying us for that DNA, right? So wow. I th- those are like two, like, and and like you said, there's hundreds of them like behind both of those examples, but th- those are kind of the broad examples that, that make it all, make it all worth it. I love that. You just said that paying you for your DNA. Yeah. Not paying us for like the cool tips and tricks that, the that, even what we can do for you. It's it's our past, our history, it's our DNA of who we are. And so the first part of your business is is really helping or finding those people and giving them the opportunities. And then the second part, if I understand it correctly, is even placing them and helping them find other places to go. Not necessarily that they have to be with shift group forever, but you're really in a lot of ways a training ground to help people even expand. Is that correct? Yeah, we uh we actually don't make money on the first part. We don't charge a dollar to an athlete or a veteran ever. Zero dollars. Wow. The the way we make money is is they have to go through our training and it's free. But when they go through our training, they land on like this really cool portal. And now companies pay us to access this portal and they can and they can actually watch game tape. Like so they can watch a 12-year Navy SEAL do a cold call. They can watch a, a division. What? a division three quarterback present a cold email or present their 30, 60, 90. So it's like, you know, we're, that's where we're, we're making money on the back end from the companies, but you're right. Like we're not, we're not your standard staffing and recruiting business. We're a training organization really at the end of the day. Wow. So you're in a lot of ways training these kids in, in, in peewee and uh, high school sports 
And then you're putting them on tape so the recruiters can go find them. You're literally doing the same thing you did yes. back in the day, but now you're the people who are preparing them and getting them ready to go. Yeah. What do you, how I'm very curious then, how did you come up with that business model? Cause that's a, and, and I, maybe there are others out there. I don't know of any that do something like that, uh, especially for free on the training, right? Yeah. Not, uh, yeah. We'll train you, but it's 10 grand, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the training. And then to help place knowing that those companies trust you going, Oh gosh, if you got it from shift group. We already know who we're getting as the DNA, but also as the skill set too. How did you come up with that business model? Honestly, I, I I paid staffing and recruiting companies as a sales leader for a decade, right? Like, and and it, I always struggled with that model because I was always like, so I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna pay this guy a hundred grand, I'm gonna give you twenty because you emailed me his resume. That's yeah. when I'm I'm paying you twenty percent because you found him before someone at my company found him or her. I'm like, this doesn't that model never made sense to me. First off, um, second off is like. There are companies in the space that do, they train and then they place. Um, to your point, a lot of them charge on the front end, but even the ones that don't, that I used, what I found was like, they trained them really, really well for the interview and, and they um, killed the interview and I hired them and then they were like, all right, what now? And I'm like, this is crazy. Like these ki- these these guys and girls are spending 10 hours with this company getting trained on how to ask me questions and what to say when I ask them questions. But then when I give when I give them money and I put them in the seat, they have no clue what's next. Wow. So it was, it was kind of really more than anything, like just an experience that I had um, in a vertical that already existed. I just think that we're disrupting it a little bit. So who are the type of companies that, that hire or, or look in the, the shift directory, you know, uh, of that, who are these type of companies? We started mainly in technology sales because that's where I spent 16 years. Is where sure. A big part of my network was I was able to build the training myself. Um, and again, back to the the word group, we're expanding into B2B, B2B sales verticals where the salespeople make six figures or more. So like we've added medical device, we've added pharmaceutical, we've added advertising, we're adding different parts of the real estate market, right? Commercial real estate, uh, real estate acquisition. So the idea is going to be a, a, an athlete or a veteran can come in, they can learn about all these different career paths, and then they pick a they pick a pick a lane, right? Like, okay, you want to be in tech sales? This is here's twenty hours of training, and then we're going to introduce you to hundred tech companies or med device. We're going to on the tech side, we've had a lot of success in venture backed earlier stage companies. Um, mainly because those are the only ones that have been growing since we started the company in 2022. Um, but we're starting to get like the bigger, like, like the big Fortune 100 tech companies are coming our way. Um, mostly medical device and pharma. They're almost all big Fortune 5000 companies. So um, we're having a lot of success there. But it's it's really, I think, very B2B centric um, and very like high high ticket, high ticket products for the most part. Would it be people who, uh, would it be the salespeople, would they be going to, like, would they be going into businesses to try to sell or is all through virtual phone calls, stuff like that? Uh, it depends. Like depends. Uh, in, med- in medical device, you're, you're basically living in a, in a hospital and sometimes mainly in an OR, yeah. right? So you're selling like spinal 
spinal uh, spinal uh, screws or you know if you're selling pharma products you're you're in doctor's offices all day tech is largely vir- virtual um, for the most part but you know you're for a bigger ticket like six figure buys you're usually doing a few meetings in person to to run a run a company through a sales process and an evaluation I'm I'm asking kind of selfishly because I work in a lot in the orthodontic and dental field, and I know companies who are always looking for great salespeople. So I was like, oh, that's interesting to think about that. Uh, that's that's I like. That. I'm going to be putting that up there for the for the future. So yeah. what's next? What's next for the Shift Group? What do you, what are you guys up to? What do you see happening ten years down the road? So. Um... A couple things. First and foremost, we are like we are actively we're doing two things at the same time, improving the current training. Right. Like I built it. I'm a I'm a I guess I'm considered a millennial, but barely I'm 80, I'm 83, 84, which is like the end of the millennials. Really, yeah. I'm a, really, I'm Gen X, I guess. And now we're serving mostly Gen Z from a military and athletic perspective. Sure say what you want. They are different. Right. I, I don't think like, you know, entitled, lazy, like, I don't think that's true. I think that's more of a, a an individual thing. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is they had these at seven years old. Yep. So the way they consume information and the way they learn is different. So number one kind of priority for us is like making sure that the way we're trained them aligns to the way they learn. And then once we get that right, it's like, all right, what are the industries that we can go attack so that these kids, these kids can come in and that we're not just throwing a kid in software that shouldn't be in software. We're putting them in the right space for them. And, and, you know, the opportunity to expand horizontally for us is massive. And then, and then we, for us, it's about getting our brand out there and making sure that every college athlete in the country, every professional athlete in the country and every military veteran in the country knows that they can come to us and figure out if sales is a fit. And if it is, we're going to help them get a job. And if it isn't, that's okay too. It's still a worthwhile, you know, hour to spend with us and figure out uh, if this is a, a, I wish I could do it for every profession, but that's really where we're going to, we're going to stay in that lane moving forward. Love it. I think that's so smart to really curtail your training and your understanding towards that group. I'm I'm literally working on a, a program right now about intergenerational communication in the workplace. Right. Because there's such a, a, a span there. And I agree with you. I do think it's an individual thing. I don't think we can we can lump everybody in the same bucket. And we can also shift the way that we teach and the way that we expect them to. You know, I I am that that Gen Xer, you know, and yeah. I'm I'm sort of looking at these going like the Gen Y and Gen Z. And and remembering when my parents and their friends were like, oh, these kids are going to be losers and they can't do anything. You know, they didn't have to go through NOM like we did, you know, and then their parents were, well, they didn't have to go through World War II like we did. And I think it's just every generation goes through that. Yeah. So if we can curtail our training and the beauty is that the ability to do that now more than ever is is available to us as opposed to back then. Yeah you have so many tools at your disposal that can help them learn the way that they can learn uh, in a, in a faster and more absorbent manner. So that's, yeah. that's amazing, man. I have loved this conversation, JR. Like I really appreciate what you're doing in the world. And like I said, the ripple effect that you're causing 
it just is changing every so many lives. It's it's definitely needed and valued. And I love the unique business model behind it. I think um, people listening, if you take anything away, the ability to be creative with what you have available to you and realize that whatever your identity is, in that's wrapped up into right now, there's always a way to use the tools that you already have to go to the next level, to go to the next thing, if that's where you're with your headed. Um, we always end our show with four questions that I ask everybody. They're rapid fire. They're just off top of your head. Uh, we'd love to get your, your thoughts on it if you're willing to play. I love it. Let's do it. I love these things. Awesome. So it's all based around role. And the first question I have is, what do you think is your highest and greatest responsibility on this earth? Wow. <laughs> um, for me, it's it's uh, giving my, I have a son, he's five months old. That's that's it for him, him and the kids that come that that come after him, hopefully, God willing, um, to give them a great future and the right foundation so that when I'm gone, they're going to do the right things. That's my biggest responsibility in the world. Yeah. Having kids kind of really shifts you, doesn't it? <laughs> does. Big time, dude. Big time. All right. Uh, what do you want as the ultimate outcome for your life? I want to impact as many people positively as humanly possible um, when it comes to finding purpose in their everyday lives and ma mainly in their careers. Like that's my ultimate goal, right? I think we spend a third of our life working. If I can have a huge impact with a lot of people in that particular part of their life, that then I'll be happy. That's awesome. What do you consider true leadership to be? Empathy. Mm. Understanding exactly why someone is the way they are and what that means to how you talk to them, what you expect of them, and how you and how you guide and, and develop them. Mm. Okay. The fact of the matter is none of us will be able to escape that that final day in our life. We don't know when that is. Hopefully it's not for a very long time. But what experience do you hope to have between now and dead? I want to, I want to, um, I want to meet my grandkids. Um, I, I didn't get to meet one of my grandfathers and you know, that question that everybody asks, usually when you're getting to know someone like, Hey, if you could bring someone to dinner, who would it be? My answer is always my grandfather. Um, so I just want to be, I want to be around long enough to meet my grandkids. That's, that's, that's it. <laughs> I love that. I'm very similar in the same way. Never got to meet my grandfather and would love to just hang out with my grandkids and let them know that they had one who loved them and cared for them. And that's awesome. I love that. I love that. Well, Jared, seriously, just a, a great conversation. Thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with us and sharing the shift group with us. How can people reach out to you and connect with you if they uh, want to find out how they can work with some of your shift group graduates? Yeah, just come to uh, our website, shiftgroup.io, uh, and then go to the companies tab. Very simple registration, and, and we'll reach out. Um, you can also follow me on LinkedIn. I'm a I'm a very uh, authentic and candid follow, um, which can piss some people off, but it's always it's always entertaining because uh, I'm not afraid to to tell people how I feel. So I would recommend that as well. Nice. I'm sure it'll just be entertaining. Period. Just to follow you, then. <laughs> yes, it is. It is very. Yeah. 
please, everybody, go reach out to JR and the Shift Group, especially if you have any desire to, number one, make that shift in your own life, or number two, looking for people who've made that shift and are and you need a great sales force. I think you can tell just through the conversation we had that this is different, this is unique, and they're going to send you people who can get the job done for you and your business. So thank you so much again, Jar, for this uh, conversation. I, I really appreciate it. Great to meet you, Dino. Thank you for having me. So everybody, again, that that ends another episode of Own Your Role podcast. Don't forget to always subscribe. Please reach out to JR and the Shift Group and make sure that you are always focused on owning your own role. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Own Your Role podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're alerted for every new episode we release. And don't forget to write us a review and let us know how we're doing. You can also follow me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, all the social medias. Just search at Dino Watt. And if you'd like me to come and help your team or audience learn to own their role in person, make sure you go to DinoWatt.com for more details. I'll see you on the next episode.